The reading is from Luke, chapter 2, from verse 22. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to Lord and and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. 
good to work through Luke's gospel. We are going to get into the, into the stuff that I know you're all waiting anxiously when Jesus comes onto the scene a bit more. So this is all just preparation work uh, that we are doing. So in the next couple of weeks, we will get, get to that. But let's pray and let's have a look at this section. Father, we thank you that you have told us in advance what your plans and purposes are. Even uh, before your son came and almost years and minutes before he stepped on and revealed yourself truly and fully, you were telling us what he is on about so that when it happens, that we may know. So we pray for that, Lord. We pray that we, our own hearts, our own souls, our own minds may be stirred to uh, trust, to joy, to hope, um, and to obedience. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, on your outline there, you will notice that I put down the relationship by the law. Um, last year, I had the fantastic experience of trying to help a Zimbabwean uh, get his, uh, his visa renewed to stay in South Africa. And uh, there I realized that uh, the law is, is, is wonderful because it's very specific. And if you don't get the specifics right, you do a lot of traveling. So we went there thinking we've got all the papers, got in front of the queue, and they said, sorry, wrong papers. You've got to go back and get a, a different paper. So you have to have his passport, you have to have his letter of his employment, and you need to have residency. And we said, yes, the residency. And they say, no, no, uh, it's, it's not signed by the owner of the house because he's renting the house. So you need to go and find that. So I said, well, that's a bit difficult because the owner is living in uh, Lesotho. So it's a little bit difficult to get the... So no, no, what you do is you just... You just go home and you get your address, my address, and sign that he stays with you. We'll accept that and then we'll do that. So we went back. Next morning, shot through again, got there. They looked at me and they said, oh, sorry, the date of this uh, address is three days out. So it has to be within two months. Time can't be older than two months. So it was three days older than two months. So they say, we've got the wonderful privilege to go home and to go and try and find another one. But in the meantime, I've actually changed my setup. So I don't get my mail at my house. I only get it in my post box. So now I don't have proof of residence. So I said, what am I going to do now? So they said, no, no, what you can do is you can go to his work, and the work can sign a document saying that he works there, and they'll accept that. Fantastic. So the next morning, he drove back again. And we got there and cut in front of the road, and they said, no, 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 they don't accept that. Because he doesn't stay where he works, um, that's why they don't accept that. Are you guys starting to enjoy this with me? So I said, okay, can I speak to somebody who knows what's going on, please? And they said, sure. And they took me to somebody, and uh, I was talking to this person. They said, now what you can do is you can actually go to the police, and you can get a police-signed thing, affidavit. Thank you. Uh, then they will... And as I was about to walk, I said to you, listen, I just want to make absolutely sure that you promise me, if I bring you that document, his passport and his letter of employment and the affidavit from the police, you'll accept it. And she said, yeah, yes. And at that moment, I mean, God is gracious. The person who really knows what's going on came past and said, what did you just say? And I said, this is what they said to me. And she said, no, you can't do that. They don't accept an affidavit by the police. 
you actually need to get an affidavit by the ward councillor. So by now my, my joy in the Lord was really being tested. Because I want to live rightly, isn't it? Don't you want to do what is right? So eventually we got back and phoned the councillor and the councillor was having a, a late morning. So he came in quite a bit later, uh, lots of excuses. He doesn't know who George is. He doesn't know where George lives. He knows nothing about George. And he signed the document for me. And we took it through and five minutes later, George had his papers. Relationship by law. It's fantastic stuff, isn't it? Very important to get it right. It's burdensome, isn't it? To do all of that stuff. But it's good because it kind of reminds us that uh, people can take chances and lots of things can go wrong. And so they have to, I guess, have to be pedantic about how these things work. And as I was thinking about this experience that I've had, I actually realized that um, there's very little relationships that we have in this life that is not regulated at some level by law, by rules, by performance documents. It's incredible, isn't it? Just think of it. I mean, just start to think about how many relationships and stuff that you are involved in. There's some sort of regulation that determines how you should do it. And if you don't do it like that, you're going to get into trouble. I think the only one that I could have come up, maybe as, you, as, we, as I preach, you can come and tell me. I think the one that I became aware of that you don't need a legal document or regulations is to have children. That's weird, isn't it? Probably one of the most complicated, difficult things in life. And there's no regulations about that. You don't have to sign a document saying, I'm ready and mature and prepared to have children to bring them into this world. But boy, oh boy, if you just want to stay in this country, you've got to have forms and papers and you've got to sign your life away. But I mean, that's how it works. Life is weird, isn't it? Now, why I'm telling you this is that what I've just told you is absolutely nothing in comparison to what life was like for an Israelite. Because every single aspect of an Israelite's life was dominated and regulated by the law of God. And it was done so that you will know that every aspect of your life actually directly relates to God himself. And so when you read the Old Testament, there's about 612 laws that governed your life. Literally, from birth right through to death. And in detail that I don't want to share this morning. But it's incredible how that actually tells us to know God, to be in relationship with God. If it, if it is difficult to be in relationship with the government, how difficult is it to be in a relationship with God? And that's what you find actually kind of hinted in this section as you read it. And so everything in this section revolves around the temple. And the temple was the hub. It was the heart of Israel's identity, of Israel's understanding of themselves, of Israel's understanding of who God is, of Israel's aspirations for life, what life is all about. So this is the place where heaven and earth meets. This is the place where God lives by himself, by his very presence. This is the place where man can come to God and meet with him based on all the laws and regulations that is actually you find there. This is the place where man can have his sins forgiven. This is the place where man can truly understand what his purpose and place is all designed to make you God conscious. 
the whole temple and all the rules and regulations around that is to actually help you to know that you are living in a world that is God's world. And that literally every single thing that you do is somehow connected to Him and that He is holy and is different. And so this is what we find. So if you look at it, verse 21, so there are seven, eight references to the law and what you need to do just in this little section. This is just getting Jesus from being born to being in the temple. All right? So chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was the time to be circumcised, one of the laws, he was circumcised and given a name. Then verse 22, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So just to give you a little bit of background. So a woman was viewed as defiled when she had birth for seven days. On the eighth day, they could circumcise the child. Then if she had a boy, she had to wait another 33 days before she had to go to the temple to purify herself. If she had a girl, it was 66 days. Don't ask me why. That's what it says. All right? So every single thing, her relationship to herself, her relationship to her husband, her relationship to her child, her relationship to God, all regulated. Then that firstborn child had to be taken to God, and he had to be brought back from God because it is a reference to God saving Israel by killing the firstborn of the Egyptians. So every time when your first child comes around, you go and you go and buy your child back from God because God says the firstborn belongs to me. So you either can dedicate him to God and leave him in the temple that he can work there, or you can pay five shekels and have him back. But it's a reminder that your very child actually is yours only because God has been gracious to have brought you into being in the first place. You see how everything is connected. And then uh, she had to bring uh, an offering, first a burnt offering for dedication, a complete dedication, and then a sin offering to have her sins forgiven. So it just goes on and on and on. Burdensome, isn't it? Because sin makes life burdensome. Not knowing who God is, not knowing how to relate to Him, not knowing how to relate to one another makes life difficult and burdensome. We don't trust one another. That's why we have all these contracts. Are you going to keep your word? Well, let me bind you somehow and let me make you conscious that you've done it to sign on this dotted line. So all of these things has got to do with the fact that we live in a world that is broken, sinful, upside down, burdensome. And you find that right through this section. So in verse, uh, so there you've got three of them referring to the law. Verse 21, 22, 23, 24. Four times he refers to the law. Verse 27, um, is that right? Am I going to write? When the parents brought in uh, the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Another reference. All right, just flip over. Verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. Verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, another part of the law of God. So, I mean, I hope you get the point. It is jolly complicated to have been an Israelite. In order to know who you are, in order to know how you had to live, there were all these rules and regulations that you had to keep because God was trying to help them to become conscious of their real need. So to keep the status quo going, you had to go through all these rituals, all these things, and it was costly. But the purpose of all of that stuff was to actually get you to desire consolation. 
So when you look at this section, there are three major words on your outline. I've tried to try and pick them up for you there. God was actually literally physically making Israel think, remember, act, do, do it again, do it again, so that in their hearts they may actually recognize what they really need and what every human being really need is actually what Simeon says. Look at what it says there in verse um, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Consolation, big word. At a real, real level, every human being is looking for consolation. Through all of these laws and all of these things, and Israel being in, 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 in exile, they were looking for what we would call simply rest, peace, good relationships. But more than that, the word consolation is a fantastic word. It's the word that says, God, won't you come to us and come and sit next to us and bring about a new dispensation in which we can live as we should and as you want us to do, but based on your performance, not based on our performance. All of this stuff is their performance. I mean, it's tiring. All these laws and stuff that they had to do. God told them to do that, but it was all kind of urging them to become aware that no matter what a human being does, how often he does it, how well he does it, it cannot bring about lasting, good, righteous, Homely rest. That's the great promise of Isaiah, the second part. Oh, comfort, oh, comfort my people. We are in this world, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's tiring in this world, isn't it? I mean, most of you guys get very excited about Monday, isn't it? Wow, we're going to go and work, and we're going to change the world, and we're going to get it all done. Consolation. God wants you to become aware of your great desire and need and longing for rest. And God has promised that I will come and I will do something to give you that rest. Because you cannot, even when you obey my word, bring that about. Isn't that amazing? So here's Simeon in the, in the temple, and he's sensed there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes him aware, stirs him himself. That's a funny thing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he stirs in you to long for the things that God has already promised that he will give you. That's fascinating, isn't it? So maybe I should ask you, how tired are you this morning? And what do you believe will bring about rest? That's what Simeon is. Simeon has been running around and he sees all this stuff and everybody's doing it and they're doing it and they obey God. But this is the status quo. This is not actually bringing about that long-awaited consolation that God has promised. And that consolation is really based on or determined by the salvation that he refers to in verse 30. So look at verse 29, 30. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, you now dismiss your servant in peace. There's the funny thing. There's the peace bit. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding the baby. Okay? So the baby is now about plus minus six weeks old. All right? 
He says, which you have prepared in the sight of all men. I have seen your salvation. I have seen your ability to save out of difficulty. You see, in order to have peace, in order to have rest, in order to have reconciliation, you need to be saved. That's the first thing. This great rest that we long for, we cannot get by ourselves. We need to be saved. Someone has to come in and save us so that we may experience it. That was the whole temple thing was trying to point forward. And as Jesus comes in, this one comes in, this one that we've been hearing about that the angels have predicted and that came about kind of supernaturally. As he comes in the baby, Simeon says, I have been longing for this. Now I've seen that what I've longed for is going to happen because you have sent us the Savior. Salvation is going to come. Salvation from death, salvation from sin, salvation from law, salvation from suffering, salvation from every single thing is going to happen. That's what we need. We need someone who is strong enough, good enough to actually do it. And I've seen his own. I've seen him now. Here he is, six-year-old baby. You've given to me. So now you can, now, now, now I can relax. Salvation actually is going to come. And that salvation, he tells us, is not just for the Jews. Actually, very interesting. Simeon says, this salvation is for mankind, for all peoples. Gentiles, verse 32, as well as Israelites. Fascinating, isn't it? So God will bring about rest through salvation, is what he's saying. So in order to have rest, I need to be saved. In order to have rest, I need someone to save me. That someone is this child that they've brought and dedicated and have done everything according to the law of God. And then, interestingly enough, then Anna comes in. And the, sorry, I didn't say. Simeon means has heard. Have you heard the message from your own experience and from the word of God that mankind is in need of rest, of consolation. And that God has promised that he will send a savior. Have you heard? <laughs> Can you rest in God? Because no amount of your efforts is going to bring it about. Have you heard? See, his name is Simeon. Have you heard? I have heard. He has heard. Amazing stuff, isn't it? Then Anna comes on the scene. And guess what Anna means? Favor, grace. Anna comes onto the scene, and uh, she's been uh, running around, and she's from Asher, which is very weird. She's actually a Gentile, because Asher has ceased to exist after the ten northern tribes was taken away into exile. So she's from that line, but she comes back to the temple, and she says, I believe, I know that salvation for the Gentiles, in one sense, lies in the temple. Lots of little interesting details that Luke kind of drops in for us to kind of think through. And she's fairly devout. I mean, she's been praying and fasting for 84 years, or depending on how you read the text, uh, she did it until she was 84. That's another way in which somebody acknowledges that life isn't the way it should be, is by praying and fasting, declaring to God, no one, nothing that we do, even in this very temple, this place where you have said my name will dwell, even here we do not find the rest and the salvation. Because all of these things are simply prefigurings of our need. They are not the reality. But now, look at how beautiful it puts it here. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, grace, favor, 
the daughter of Fahel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84, or she was a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, this child, to all who were looking forward. Here comes the next big word, the redemption of Jerusalem. Rest will come about through salvation, which is based upon redemption. And redemption simply means paying the full price to ransom that which has been enslaved back. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, the full price for us giving ourselves over, selling ourselves into slavery, the full price must be paid. That's redemption language. Go and redeem that which is enslaved so that it will be free. So you can see how it works. Rest is based on salvation. Salvation is based on paying the price, the ransom price that will set us free. And she says, this is the guy who's going to do that. He is the redemption of God. He will bring about the consolation. He will bring about the salvation. That's what uh, uh, Simeon says. Anna says, yeah, yeah, it's because he will actually pay the price for anyone who wants to hear. But there's a little bit of a hiccup, isn't it? Go back to verse 33. And one says, this is for everyone, but not everyone will have it. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul, your own soul too. Hmm. Salvation will come. That's going to happen. There's going to be no bad rest. And that's for everyone, Jew and Gentile, and yet not everyone will experience it because they will stumble over this person, Jesus Christ. So there's a whole background, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 13, in the background that he's talking about. They will come to him and they will stumble over him because that is not what they want. They do not believe ultimately that they need someone like him to redeem them. And so they're going to fall over him. Their own hearts will be exposed. He will come and he will expose people's hearts. He will allow people to understand what they really value. When you bump into Jesus, the funny thing that happens is that you get to know yourself who you really are and what you really long for and what you really live for. It's amazing. I mean, that's a shocker. And we'll see that as we get into Luke's gospel. Wherever Jesus goes, he's got this weird, unbelievable, shocking thing. Everybody that bumps into them, they actually get to know themselves and what they value and what's important to them. Without that kind of thing, you will never know who you are. Not everyone. There will be the rising and the falling of many in Israel. Their hearts will be revealed. He is the sign. He will be hanging on the cross eventually. That's what it's referring to. This very sign of God's redemption will be the very reason why people reject him. Remember what they said when he was hanging on the cross? Now we're jumping way ahead. 
This is all told us before it happens. Way ahead they say, oh, you saved others, now save yourself. And they mocked him and they spit at him. Because the salvation that they were looking for was not through paying the redemption price, but looking for a better deal. Their hearts were exposed. And Jesus says, whenever you bump into him, that's what Simeon says, your heart will be exposed. And you will either rise or you will fall. I mean, that's... (laughs) This man is going to be the distinction between those who rise and those who fall. This man, this boy, this six weeks old boy, he is going to change every heart, human heart. He's going to show every human heart what they really believe. And he will be the distinction between rising and falling. We Do we believe that? Have we grabbed hold of that reality? And if you are doubting it, maybe, maybe Simeon just had too much mushrooms to eat. You know, maybe Anna was um, really you know, hallucinating because of her fasting. I mean, that happens when you fast too long. Well, that's why we are told the next little story, isn't it? Again, this is the time of Passover. Jesus is right there when Israel actually practices and reminds themselves that they need redemption. The Day of Atonement, the Passover. That's exactly at that point where Jesus goes at the age of 12, the age before he's accountable, the age 13 is the age of accountability, the age 12 already Jesus takes accountability and he takes control of the temple. But in a very subtle way, he walks in there and he sits there and he asks all these learned people lots of questions and they are amazed and perplexed and confounded by his knowledge while his parents are going home. Here Jesus himself says, this is who I am at the age of 12. This is not we saying this is who Jesus is. This is Jesus saying this is who I am. And then his mom comes, does what moms normally do. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Which kind of, I mean, one can understand it perfectly well, isn't it? I mean, how many of your parents will feel, uh, if your kid disappears for four days, that you won't be upset? So you can understand where she's coming from. But you can also understand that she's not coming from the right place. Because how many times has she been told, this little kid is in a different league to any other kid that has ever been born? And so Jesus gently helps her write, why were you searching for me, he asked. Mom, why are you searching for me? Don't you get it? Look at what he says. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Did you not know, did you not understand, did you not perceive, actually the word is there, did you not perceive that I must be in my father's home? The word there is of absolute necessity. Have you not worked this through yet? That my father's home is where he lives and my father provides redemption 
salvation and rest. I am in my father's house, busy with my father's stuff, because he's my father. You know, this is the first time in all of Scripture that somebody refers to God as Father. Nobody ever referred to the temple as my father's house. Now, go back to verse 21 again of the chapter. On the eighth day, he was circumcised, and he was given the name Jesus, telling us clearly the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. The word Jesus means Yahweh is Savior. No, no, not, not Joseph, not the family name, not the earthly family name. The true name is Jesus. Yahweh is Savior. That's his name. He is Yahweh who has come to save. And now he says, you're right at the end. Oh, I'm busy with my father's business and in my father's house. So why are you looking for me? Didn't you get it? Didn't you make the right connections? Can't you put this stuff together? That's what he's actually asking. It's incredible, isn't it? That here he himself, at the age of 12, says, I am God come to save, and I'm busy a bit of it. So why are you looking for me? Why do you think I'm lost? Isn't it weird? Do you think I'm lost? You lost. I have come to save you. I mean, this is, you get it? You get the funny bit in this? My child, you're lost. Uh, no, mom, you are. <laughs> well, that happens when kids are playing with computers these days. I mean, they're not lost. We're lost, but you know what I'm saying? Isn't this incredible? A 12-year-old is saying, I am the savior of the world. Did you not understand that? Have you not heard that? And well, actually tell us. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I mean, can you, could, you, could you believe it if you were there? Would you believe that a 12-year-old boy is going to save the world? And that he thinks you're lost? And you tend to think he's lost? Amazing. So here's the funny thing. You see, most people are looking for rest. Speak to people. What are you looking for? World peace. Here we come again. My favorite joke. Beauty pageant. What's your greatest desire? World peace. Absolutely world peace, isn't it? How will it come? Through salvation. How will salvation come? Through redemption. How will redemption come? Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you go to him to save you? And do you tell everybody else that you know that this boy, well, he's not a boy anymore, but when he was a boy, he is going to be the one who will determine who rises and who falls in life. And it will be determined by what you do with him. What you say about him. He has come to save you but if you don't think you need that, if you don't understand that only he can redeem you so that you will be saved, so that you will have rest, then obviously it ain't going to happen. But he's come to save us. There's the great mystery, the weirdest thing of all. Think how you will find rest. Rest. 
What is your plan? How are you going to get it right? The constant word of God says rest is absolutely necessary. We are tired. We are overwhelmed. We are broken. We are zonked out. The only way is through salvation that comes through redemption. And that can only happen when the one pays the perfect price for sin. At the Passover, Jesus says, here I am. You are lost. I'm come to look for you. You don't have to look for me in that sense. Will you share that with your people? Is that what's causing custard to work in your heart? Joy, amazement. Jesus Christ has come so that we may be redeemed, so that we may be saved, so that we may be consoled, be at rest. Hold on to that if you have believed that. Go back to it if you've forgotten it and go and tell people. Do you know Jesus Christ? Because he alone is the one who can give you what you really want, what you really need, what you at times actually understand or long for. He and him alone is going to do it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in this very amazing, complicated way, as Luke has written for us, how everything from the law and the prophets testify to the fact that mankind is broken, sick, tired, frustrated, overwhelmed, limited in so many different ways. And yet in us we know that this shouldn't be like this. Lord, we thank you that you have consistently said the same thing over and over and over. We are in need of salvation, and salvation can only come through redemption. But no animal can ever redeem the life of a human who have willingly, purposefully sinned. It can only be overcome by one who has willingly and purposefully never sinned, and yet gives his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we pray that we will wrestle these things through. They are, maybe we are like the people there, Jesus. We don't really understand this. We don't really get it. We, we bumble around. We've got some words and concepts and we fall over. So maybe, maybe you need to help us, Father, to learn to talk to ourselves in the light of your word, what you've revealed for us in Christ. Why don't you break open your word by your spirit? So that in one sense, as Simeon, when we look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we will can say to you, Father, now we are ready for rest. We're okay now. We don't need anything else. We don't have to be discontented. We don't have to be run around. We don't have to be afraid and panicking. We don't have to demand. We don't have to prove ourselves We don't have to try and find security. We don't have to try and find a sense of belonging. We don't have to try and demand others to recognize us. You have come to save us. You've come to seek us out. And you've given us your son. Father, we pray that you may open our eyes. That you may put these things deep in our hearts so that we may actually fulfill the purpose for which Luke wrote, and that is so that we might personally know at a very deep and profound level we can trust 
ourselves and entrust our very lives and everybody around us into the hands of this 12-year-old boy who came to do the business in the house of his father as he himself becomes that house, the perfect place where we could meet you. So thank you for this great reminder this morning, Lord. Thank you for that. We know this stuff. Many of us, most of us here know this stuff. We pray that we will ponder it like Mary did, reflect on it, treasure it in our hearts so that we may respond with thanks and amazement about the truthfulness of your word, about the necessity of Jesus Christ having to have done that. So convince us, Lord, about these things. By your Spirit we pray this, so that we may take your message into the world and many may be saved. So we pray this in your name. Amen.